Hebrews chapter 6, please, verse 11. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he sware by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For verily, for men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest after the order, high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for your spirit. And we thank you for every remembrance and blessing of your son and all that he's done. Tonight, Father, we ask you that you would now move among us and touch our hearts. That you'd move among us, Lord, and Lord, touch us afresh. And Lord, that you would use this man of frailty for your glory and for your honor. Bless those who are away. Comfort those who are mourning. Draw close to those who are weak and down. And we pray that you'd edify your church. Lord, we thank you for every person you've brought out tonight. And we ask you, Father, that you would bless them. And Lord, that you would encourage them to the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We love your son. We love your spirit. We love you, Lord. And we love you because you first loved us. And so, Father, we pray, minister in this place this evening through your word. For Jesus' name's sake, I ask it. And for his glory. Amen. <clears throat> in an unsure heart without hope, and in an insecure world without hope, in an unassured mind without hope, and an unsettled life without hope, in an unhealthy condition without hope, Hebrews chapter 6 tells you and I, that is Christians, the blood-washed, the believer, 
It tells us that in all of this mess, we have a hope. We have hope. The English word hope, H-O-P-E, in your King James Bible occurs 130 times in 121 verses. There's hope the whole way through. And some of that hope may be misguided, misdirected. And we'll look at it just a few verses this evening. First of all, sometimes hope can seem far away from us. Especially as it was to Job. Job, who had went through such a trial and a testing, terrible time, his hope seemed to have flown from him. The hope that he even had in God seemed to be away from him. We can all find ourselves there at some point. For example, in the book of Job, chapter 17 and verse 15, listen to his words. And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? Job is wondering where his hope is because he's lost so much. The loss of his possessions and the loss of his home and the loss of everything he had, the loss of, of his prestige in life, the worst being the loss of his children. He's going, where's my hope now? And how can people see hope? when my hope seems to have flown from me and to be distant and far away from me. You see, in a world like this, we all are traveling and traversing. And every one of us, even though we have hope in God, sometimes we wonder, where is my hope in this life, in this world, in this circumstance, in this situation, through this illness, in this morning? Because, Lord, I trusted in you, like the two on the road to Emmaus. But we had trusted that it had been he who would have redeemed Israel. But now he's dead these three days. And their hope seemed far gone from them. And not alone did they know that their hope, Christ himself risen from the dead, he took that walk to Emmaus with them, a seven miles journey giving them the greatest Bible study a man would ever give. Their hope was there, and they could not see it. I would say to you, brothers and sisters, when hope seems far from you, keep resting your hope on Christ. Keep resting your hope upon the Lord. Sometimes our hope can seem far away from us, as it was to Job. Secondly, sometimes our hope can seem or can be aimed at the wrong direction and can be on the wrong things. Sometimes we place our hope in things which we should never have placed our hope in. Sometimes we place our hope upon others whom we should never have placed our hope on. And again, in the book of Job, Job says in Chapter 31 and verse 24. And he says, If I had made gold my hope, or have said unto fine gold, Thou art my countenance. Job is saying, Look, if I had placed my hope in something else that couldn't help me, if it had been gold or fine, or I means a more expensive refined gold, if I'd have said, There is my 
there's my help and there's my hope. There's my confidence. Then I would understand why my hope seems so far away. Job here is looking and saying, there are others who place their hope on the wrong things and in the wrong people and the wrong direction. There's people who place their hope in their church, trusting that that's enough to save them. There's people who have placed their hope in the minister, the pastor, and yet he's only a man. And your hope is your hope is misdirected to the wrong place. There are people who have placed their hope in the gambling halls and and casinos, hope of more money, hope to build bigger. There are people who have placed their hope in things that let them down, in people who will fail them because they're people. And there are those who have placed their hope in things which could never have been a hope for them, but would turn into nothing but a disaster. A disaster. There's people who put their hope in the bottom of a bottle, on the, the drug to take away the pain, the, the, the misuse of it. And it just brings them down further. And Job says, if I had made gold or fine gold my hope, I, if I had put my confidence in it, like others do, I'd understand this. Maybe you've put your hope in something and someone and somewhere and that has let you down. But you see, the, the idea of this evening and this message is to, is to redirect the misdirected hope and to place your eyes upon Christ our hope. For he is the one who will never fail you, will never let you down. And thirdly, sometimes our hope... It's not a saving hope. Our hope is not a saving hope. Job 27 and verse 8 says, For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he hath gained, notice, when God taketh away his soul. That's serious. When God taketh away his soul. In other words, Job is saying there's a hypocrite. By the way, the word hypocrite here in Job 27 and verse 8, it's a word kenaf. Kenaf. And it means uh, the godless, the profane, or the soiled. Soiled by sin. And Job is saying, where's their hope? Because there comes a time they might gain you know, sometimes the wicked and the godless and the unsaved seem to be doing so well in life and the high-powered jobs. We hear of the elites all the time and we speak about it, we talk about it, and they seem to be the ones who are ruling the world. Listen, they're only ruling it because God at this present time is allowing them to. There's going to be a time when their soul will be drawn out from their body. The idea here is when God taketh away his soul, it gives the idea of someone taking a sword from its sheath. And it's just a sheath and the sword is in the hand of the wielder. 
And God comes and he, he takes, as it were, away the soul from the body and the ungodly and the profane. And where are they? When it comes to that place, point in time, if it's you, where would your soul be? Eternity, where? Where would you spend eternity when God draws the breath of life to himself? Are you saved? And is your hope in Christ? Notice this, if you will. The word hope, tikvah, and it changes throughout the scripture. I'll not go through too many tonight, but the word hope here, the word tikvah, it means, and let me read it in this, in this context, but for what is the hope of the hypocrite? What is the, the tikvah? What's the expectation it means? What is the expected end of it? And there's another word, and it's used, and it means rope, R-O-P-E, or cord. Isn't that strange? But let me give you an example. Do you remember whenever the Israelite spies go into Jericho? Remember, and the, the men of Jericho are looking to kill them, and they're let down the wall in a basket by Rahab. Do you remember that? And she says, will you remember us when Israel come in? Will you remember us that we've helped you? I'm, I'm paraphrasing for time. And he says, let a red rope down, a red cord down. And when we see the red cord, you'll be spared. That's known as the tikvah. That's known as the tikvah, the red cord. Or it means rope, but it was red here. And it gives the, the expression, it, it, gives, it, give, it gives the foreknowledge of, of Christ and his blood. That when Christ returns with all the angels of heaven, when Christ returns when, in the wrath of God, those who are under the tikvah, those who are have an expected hope and end in Christ, uh, when he comes in all his manifest glory and goodness and power, those of us who are under the red cord, the blood of the Lamb will be saved. Are you glad you're saved tonight? Here, here we find that this expectation of this ungodly, uh, profane, the soil, hypocrite as it's called. Even those who profess, profess Christ. You know, there's been many, many professors. I'm talking about in universities here. I'm talking about those who profess to know, to love Jesus. And, and when everything went west, as it were, as everything went wrong, as it were, over the last few years, the professors and the possessors were all sorted out. Oh, they professed for years, but when they came to it, there was no possession. There was no possession. Here, brothers and sisters, we find that this hope, this expected end, when we have our hope fixed in Christ, it means to wait for an expectation. And those without Christ are expected end. It means when their soul is drawn out from the body, then it's too late. Sad, isn't it? It's horrible. But that's the gospel. 
John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, among many other things, but people know Pilgrim's Progress more. He said, hope is never ill when faith is well. Your faith in Christ is well, your hope is never ill. When your faith in Christ is well, you're assured. We're going to look at the assurance in Christ that every Christian tonight I trust will know the assurance that is found in him. Listen to the old Puritan Thomas Adams on hope. Listen, Thomas Adams on hope. Hope is a virgin of a fair and clear countenance. Her proper seat is upon earth. Her proper object is in heaven. Faith is her general attorney. Prayer her solicitor. Patience her physician. Charity her almoner. Thankfulness her treasurer. Confidence her vice admiral. The promise of God her anchor. Peace her chair of state. And eternal glory her crown. Thomas Adams and hope. That is hope that is in Christ. And I love it when he says, her proper seat is upon earth and her proper object is in heaven. What is our proper object in heaven? Christ himself. Our great high priest, the lamb that was slain and rose again on the third day, the man in the glory has anchored us has anchored us to the Father. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Last Sunday, Alice and I walked around the harbour just looking at all the lovely yachts, pretend we owned one. Big, massive yachts. And Alison at one of the yachts said, that's not a private yacht, that's a ship. And I said, that's a private yacht, Alison. A helicopter lands at the back of that. But you know what? I'd rather have what I have in Christ than own that yacht. I'm rich in the Savior. I'm rich in the Lord. I'm one of the richest men on the planet. Because I have Christ in my life. Because I'm saved. We're walking along and I've seen this yacht was, it wasn't a bit, that big one, but it was big enough and it seemed to be lifting a lot. The wind was blowing, it was roasting hot wind and it was one of the easier days to walk because there was no wind and it was like 42 degrees one day and it's usually around 37. And this day it was easier to walk and we went out, we're walking around the harbour looking at all the boats and this swell came into the harbour and I seemed to toss this boat about a bit. And at the back it was moving quite a lot. I don't think it was tied right, but I know nothing about sailing, so I'll say nothing. And I said to Alice, that looks like it's not fixed right. And was bumped right against the next yacht with their boys or whatever they call it down between them. Somebody can fix me right in the name. Right between them. And they're moving like this in the swell. But when we walked round, the front of it was fixed. There was a rope going down. You couldn't see it. Couldn't see what was at the bottom of the rope. But you know what is at the bottom of the rope? The anchor. The anchor. And when our life is in a swell, 
And when our life is in the winds, when our life is in the storms, Christian, we have an anchor. We have an anchor. And you might rock about a bit, you might go with the swell a bit, but I can tell you, we have an anchor that was fixed at the front. It wasn't going anywhere because the anchor was dropped. Difference is with the anchor of Hebrews 6 and the anchor, the anchor of hope of Hebrews 6 and the anchor of a ship is one goes down, our anchor went up <laughs> and we're anchored in glory in Christ. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? We assure him, amen. He deserves the glory for this. Notice this. The cry of the psalmist should give us direction this evening. It should be our cry from our hearts and from our souls. From Psalm 119, verse 49, the psalmist says, Remember thy word unto thy servant which upon, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Here the, the, the psalmist, David is saying, Remember your word to me. God, will you remember what you said to me? Will you remember what your word tells me? Because here is my hope. This is what I'm anchored on. I hope in this. I'm not hoping in this church. I'm not hoping in this pulpit. My hope isn't fixed on a denomination or an institution. Not a fraternity. My hope is built on nothing else and nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. In Christ a solid rock I stand, all other ground is a sinking sand. Everything outside of hope of Christ Everything I say, the hope that is in Christ is sinking sand. And we can build our kingdoms. And we can do the best. Listen, do good in the world. Do good in life. And that's fine. But our rock is Christ. Our anchor is Christ in the glory. And he should always have the preeminence. Remember thy word unto thy servant upon which thou caused me to hope. And when I get saved and you got saved, our anchor is the scripture here. Our anchor is that which he has caused me to hope. See, when you get your doubtings, there's your anchor. You see, whenever you have doubtings, you're just not sure sometimes, you get messed up, read it, it's your anchor. He causes you to hope in this. I wrote a few scriptures down. Listen to my anchor. John 6 and 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Think about it. What an anchor. My heavenly Father knew me. And he says, see him. He doesn't know it. See that vagabond. See, see that sinner. See that one running around there in Belfast getting up to no good. See him and look at the state of his lifestyle. He doesn't know it, son. But when he is born, he's going to go away his own way. But there's going to come a day when he's going to hear the word of God. He's going to hear it and my spirit will carry it to his heart. And he's going to be saved. See, the father gave me to Jesus. <laughs> father gave you to Jesus. Think about this. What an anchor. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh unto me I will no wage cast out. He doesn't say, oh, 
Oh, here, hold on a minute now. You're, you're a woman of ill repute, or you're a man who's up to no good. He didn't say, you're a man who was involved in terrorism even. He doesn't ask you that. He doesn't say you're a man of drink and drugs and violence. He doesn't say to you, what have you done and where have you been? He knows it all about it. When you come to him, he says, come on, son, daughter, I will not cast you out. What an anchor. The word causes me to hope that he knew me from before the foundation of the world and I belong to him. What an anchor. And our doubtings, what an anchor. Listen to this, Romans 10 and 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hey, what an anchor. Thy word has caused me to hope. Listen to this, 1 John 1 and 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. What an anchor. 10. He's the one who fails. He's the one who lets you down, Father. He doesn't say that. He says, my blood's paid for it all. Let us finish. What an anchor. Acts 2.38, Peter cries, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Here we have salvation. Now we have the Holy Spirit living in us. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 and 14. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, or those who have died, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Paul is saying there are those without hope. Their hope is misdirected. Their hope is in everyone and everything and everywhere else. Just like we spoke about, their hope is everywhere but in Christ. And Paul's saying there are those who have died and they knew not Christ. Their hope wasn't Christ. He's not their anchor nor their savior. But he's speaking to those in the Thessalonian church, the believers, and he's saying, concerning them which are asleep or that have died, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. And those we have mentioned who are sorrowing, who are in mourning at the minute, and those who have been in mourning recently, he didn't say you don't sorrow. We do sorrow. We miss our loved ones. We mourn our loved ones. We hurt. We cry. We're in pain. Paul didn't say we don't. He says, but there's something inside the believer that says that those believers who died and went on before us, we're going to see them again. We're going to be with them again. You have a hope, brother. You have a hope, sister. Verse 14, he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep or died in Jesus, will God bring with them. Can you imagine what sort of day that's going to be? I'm reckoning I'm going to see my mommy. My mommy, a Presbyterian woman, as to name on the roll, As to the books of the Presbyterian Church, but not saved and not in the role in heaven. Well, she thought so. See, there's a new name written in glory. It's not written in glory when you're saved. It's already written. You're just going there to take it off. When you get saved. I can see my mommy. God saved her by sovereign grace. 
six months before she passed away. I'm hoping to see my sisters, my dad. I'm hoping. I'm hoping one day God will bring them with him. That's what a day's that going to be. It's like something we can't comprehend. And I can't explain it to you. We need the Holy Spirit to, to, to open our understanding and, and to show us in the Spirit what sort of a time this is going to be. But I reckon that we just wouldn't be able to take it in. You know, Jesus said, I have many things yet to show you, but you, you cannot understand them or you just can't handle it, boys. There's things we can't handle if he showed us it all right away. There's things we don't know and we can't handle it. But one day when he changes this vile body, when our mindsets are fully changed to be like his, we'll see our loved ones who have went on in Christ. And we're going to be with the Savior all together forever. I know people will think that's mad. Yeah. That's because it's beyond our human comprehending. The love of God and Christ, how can it be? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 53 to 57, Paul writes, For this corruptible, speaking of his body, must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So then this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. Brothers and sisters, what an anchor! That God has given us the victory in Christ. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, listen, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know what Paul's saying? There's coming a day when the old corruption is going to be uh, into incorruption and the old mortal is going to have a, an immortality of a body there's going to be no more pain there's going to be no more hurting there's going to be no more cancer there's going to be no more tumors there's going to be no more arthritis no more deformities there's going to be none of it we're all going to be fashioned like unto his own glorious body and he says and because of this anchor of the soul he says in his own words Therefore, my brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. You see, that's what's wrong with many. They're not steadfast in the faith, and they're too movable. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, let's keep on working, brethren. Let's keep on working, sisters. Let's keep on abounding over this. Because there's coming a day when Christ is going to roll back the sky like a scroll. Jesus is coming again. And it might be difficult and it might be hard. And there's times we might hurt so much. But there's something that gives us a hope way inside. That tells us when Jesus comes, it's going to be good. Do you know the anchor? Are you anchored in Jesus tonight? Let me check my watch because the clock is still at a quarter to three. It was a quarter to three this morning. And it's still at a quarter to three. 
You know, they say a broken clock is, tw uh, is, is uh, right at least twice a day. And that one's been right twice in the last 24 hours. So I better keep this out because I'd forget what time it was as I did this morning. I'll put that there and hopefully I'll maybe turn it that way but then I'll have to watch it. See, this is our hope. Your only hope is Christ. Our hope is in the word as the psalmist said. Your word has caused me to hope. This word causes me to hope. And the psalmist says it, brothers and sisters, Believe it. Believe it. It's an anchor of the soul. Believe it. Receive it. Trust it. Hope in it. You know, Christ is the Word, and the Word is Christ. Christ is the Word of God, and Christ is the God of the Word. So when we put our hope and trust in the Word, we are putting our hope and trust in Christ. In Colossians, at the end of chapter 1, verse 27, the, the apostle writes, is Christ in you. Christ is in us by the Holy Spirit. Christ in you, the hope. The hope of glory. The Puritan called George Swinnock once said, and I, I, I've used this saying a few times, but I'll say it again. He said, heaven must be in thee before thou canst be in heaven. Heaven must be in thee before thou canst be in heaven. In heaven. And you will forgive me for using and quoting so many of these old Puritans, but the stuff that they, the stuff of the, of that they write is some of substance. And Charles J. Butler, listen to what he, he writes in his, in, his, in his hymn. And you'll all know it well. It's one of my favorites. Since Christ my soul from sin set free, this world has been heaven to me and mid were earth sorrows on its woe tis heaven my Jesus here to know oh hallelujah yes tis heaven tis heaven to know my sins Verses are almost identical. Psalm 42 and verse 5 says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? 
Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And I say to you, dear Bible, you want to underline verse 5. You underline for the help of his countenance. I want to show you something here. It's very precious. In this verse we have hope. And then we have help. And in verse 11 it is almost the same except we have health. H-E-A-L-T-H. Health. Notice here in verse 5. For the help of his countenance. And the word help here is the exact same word in verse 11. Who is the health of my countenance. You see this. In verse 5, the psalmist is looking at himself and he's wondering where his hope is. He's wondering where his help is. He's even wondering where his health is. And then this he's saying, speaking to himself. Why art thou cast down on my soul? Speaking to himself. Who speaks to themselves? <laughs> A few of us do. The rest are liars. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> ah, I don't know why I'm laughing at that, but <laughs> for the help of his countenance, Christ, God's countenance. And the word help here, and in verse 11, for who is, who is the health of my countenance? Notice, for, for the help of his countenance, and then it's health of my countenance. Notice this, the help of, from his countenance is the health of my countenance. Here's my God, he says, to finish it. Notice here, the psalmist speaking to himself, faith reasons with fear. Faith is reasoning with the fear that he has. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? He's reasoning. His faith is starting to reason. Why am I like this? Why am I feeling like this? Thinking like this? What is my trouble? Where is my hope? It seems far off from me. Just like Job said. Where is it? But his faith starts reason with his fears and then his hope argues with his sorrow his hope argues with his sorrow hope thou in God I'm going to hope in God no matter what for he's a sure anchor this one hope thou in God he says for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance and hence his faith reasons with fear and his hope argues with his sorrow. Hope thou in God. The word help here, H-E-L-P, of his countenance. And then when you go to verse 11, he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquiet within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. Who is the health of my countenance? My countenance. 
Brothers and sisters, you see here the word help in verse 5 and the word health in verse 11. They are exactly the same Hebrew word. Strange, isn't it? Help and health are exactly the same Hebrew word. And it's the word Yeshua. Sound familiar to you? The Lord Jesus is Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. It's the same word where his name derived from for salvation. And hence the, the psalmist in the Old Testament says, For I shall praise him. He is a Yeshua from his countenance. The word countenance is the word pod name for face. His is the face of God. Yeshua is God with a face. Jesus is God with a face. And he comes to heal me. And my countenance lifts up my face. He lifts up my smile. He is my hope. John Trapp said, David chideth David out of the dumps. Read that one. David chideth David out of the dumps. Sometimes we'll have to chide ourselves out of the dumps. We need to spit ourselves out of the dump. Sometimes I have to preach myself up. And if nobody else is enjoying it, I try and enjoy it myself. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing. When I'm preaching something to you, it hits home to me first. It hit me in the study. I got this watch on the front end of a boat. Not all of it like, but I got the boat going that word not you and start thinking about it. You see here salvation comes from the propitious face of God. Christ is the propitious face of God. He is the mercy seat. His face, his countenance brings the health of the sin and sick soul, brings the health to the body and the spirit, lifts up the countenance of the man and the woman who are on a broad road to destruction. You see, Christ is the rock and Christ is our anchor. He's God with a face. Listen to John 14 and 9. Philip asks him, show us the Father and it will suffice the Father. It will satisfy us. And he says, he that has seen me has seen the Father. God with a face. Jesus is the Father's face. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Listen to what Paul writes. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the face that lifts the countenance. And you see that face Pulled out his very beard from his face. They mocked him to his face. They pummeled his face with their hands and their fists and with reeds and rocks. They bled his face to a bloody mess. He was marred more than any man. This is the face of the health of our country. Hence the word face in 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 and the word countenance in Psalm 42 verses 5 and 11. 
One is uh, ponim means face. You know what it means actually? That bit which turns. You're going to the roadside. We all know what our face is, don't we? That bit which turns around. Having a gale, you know. Let my arm out, look at the hell out of the Turning this way. See, when we're in praise to God and we're aware of his presence in the midst and we're singing our hearts out to him and you're aware of an anointing coming into the meeting, God's presence, God's face has turned to the place. It's turned to see. There's that worshiping. It's those people in CET making a racket on a Sunday night again. God says, I'm turning my face. It's the same face when he sees his son on the cross and he turns his face. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The word ponim is the Hebrew for the face, the countenance, and the word in 2 Corinthians 4 6. For the face in the face of Jesus Christ is the word prosopon in the Greek, and they're exactly the same. One's the same as the other. I know as Proverbs 13 and 12 says, Hope the fair maketh the heart sick. I understand that. I've had hopes dashed, and I've had hopes and dreams that are gone. And I've had that, you've had that. I've had hopes of loved ones who weren't healed uh, from their sicknesses and they passed away this scene of time and God, as it were, we're told, draws the soul out. I, I understand that. I understand the hurt of that. But our, our rock and our countenance, our rock and the lifter of our countenance, our anchor is in heaven. And hope deferred maketh the heart sick. It says, but when the desire cometh, it is a true what a tree of life it will be. The word hope here is a word tokila, and it means what an expectation. What an expectation on that day when we look upon the prosopon, when we look upon uh, that honeym of the Father, when we look upon the glory, the face of Christ. What an expectation. What a tree of life. It should be seated already in your heart, ready to bloom for him. So in running in to close this, I'm going to preach on the chapter we started with. Just to close it. Notice here in Hebrews chapter 6, we have a full assurance of hope to the end. In verse 11. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the, diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. <coughs> the, the Hebrew writer here, I believe it's Paul, but others maybe not agree with that. So if I say Paul, forgive me. But the Hebrew writer here, he's, he's urging those who have come from Judaism and they've left all of that ritual and temple stuff and all that religion that could never save them and, and the, 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 the slaying of the bulls and the goats and, uh, and the sheep and the, you know, the lambs and the doves. And it's all gone away with, in Christ. 
And they've come to saving faith in Christ. And that's the reason the book of Hebrews has been written. is because now they're looking because of persecution and hardship. Their faith has been so sorely tried. They want to go back to what they were going to go back to. It's like in the book of Galatians, Paul says, Oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? And what he means is, they had come out also of this Judaism ritualistic worship. To know and love Christ, but are starting to turn back to the, the laws of the traditions of it. And this is written for this reason. And what the writer is trying to say is, listen, you need to have a full assurance that you're saved. We have come from different church backgrounds. Protestant church denominations, Roman Catholic church, and maybe nothing or something else. We have come from different places like that. Sometimes we have put our hopes and misplaced hopes on those and we have realized that we have been saved by grace in Christ. That we're born of the Spirit. That we belong to Jesus. And hence similar here in Hebrews 6, the writer is saying, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. And the full assurance here really, it's a big long word, play rough oria. And it really gives the idea is a most certain confidence. He's saying, do your best, he says, to have a most certain confidence in the hope. The hope that is bringing us to the expected end in Christ. What if we die and this is it? What if the atheist is right? Well, I can tell you, I've been saved from a life of vice. I mean, I've lived a good life, but what if it's right and the atheist is wrong? <laughs> and by the way, it is right because my heart is up in heaven, my heart is in my anchor. It's not about changing your life even. It's not about starting to uh, you know, do good even. It's about knowing Christ. It's about having Christ in your life. Living for Christ. Loving Christ. Walking with Christ. Talking with Christ. Every day with Christ. This isn't about a Sunday thing. We come here morning and night. If it is, I'm going home and I'm not coming back. Don't know about you. I can do other things. But this is because my heart and your heart has been saved. Our spirits are joined with him in the Holy Ghost. He lives in us. We have a full assurance. I have a most certain confidence. See, it's not in me and my feelings and who I am or what I can achieve or do. But my most certain confidence is all in him. If it was up to us, we'd be lost one minute and saved the next day, wouldn't we? Some of us would be lost by the time we get to the car park. assurance of hope expresses 
completeness of hope's activity in the soul. I want you to get this because we're on to this close here. The, the, the full assurance of hope expresses the completeness of hope's activity in the soul. In other words, hope starts to be active in the soul as you grow in knowledge and the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Hope lays hold on you. Should I go and lay in bed tonight and should I pass into eternity? My hope is in Christ. isn't in me or anywhere else. It's not misplaced. My hope is in him. It's in him. And the completeness of its activity every day tugs at my heart. He's coming again. My hope. I hope to see the upper taker, not the undertaker. But if the undertaker takes me, my hope is still fixed in him. Let us hope in, in Christ and let him grip your heart. Let him permeate your soul and your life. Let him tranquilize your spirit and let him have full activity. Let him have sway of your mind, even as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's how our hearts should be. And then in verse 18 of the chapter, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. In the verse 19 it says, which hope we have as an anchor. Isn't that powerful? The soul. Brothers and sisters, this lay hope and the hope lay hold and the hope set before us. It mentions immutability in this verse and we also read of impossibility, pardon me, immutability in, in verse 17 and then into 18 and then impossibility. And it mentions two oaths. This is the Abrahamic covenant of the Lord saying, Abraham, your seed will be as the stars of heaven, the dust of the sand of the seashore and all this. Genesis 22. And the second oath is, Abraham, you're going to be, your seed will come after the order of Melchizedek. Reading right into the end of the chapter, who Christ is not taken up after the priesthood of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek, ascended into the heavens, and he's our anchor in heaven. And he's saying, God looked around us, it were. I'm paraphrasing this just because I'm closing this for time. But God looks around us, it were. And he's looking for someone to swear the oath by. For it says, you must swear by a greater. Now, if God is making an oath with Abraham and he looks around, who's greater than God? You see, if you and I were to need to sign a document, we'd go to a solicitor or to a barrister who in law would be greater than us to sign it. And it means then that there's no trouble. That's the way it is. And that's what the Hebrew writer is saying here. He says, but God himself came and he says, I will sign the oath because there's nobody greater than me. And hence, since he has kept it, Abraham died without seeing all of this, but yet his anchor was in heaven. And his seed that was to come in Christ and listen, his seed was to fill the earth, as it were. And sure, who is it? It's you and me. 
So I'll finish with this. See the word confirmed in verse 17. It's the word mesitio. Uh, and it's very akin to a word in the Greek text called mesitus. And mesitus is used in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one mediator. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And the mediator is the, mes- the mesitus. That's the word for it. Christ is the mesitus. And the word confirmed here that God means somebody had to step in to be an intermediary. Christ was the confirmation of it all. He is the mesitio, or, or he's the one who confirms it. He's the one who says, Father, it's done in me. And hence he says, for this hope is an anchor of the soul. Here's the thing, brothers. See the anchor of the soul. I can remember the word. The word for anchor is I, Ankara, I think is the pronunciation of it. And the anchors then, people thought they were just like stone rings or whatever. That's not what this means here. The anchor here gives the idea of as what you and I would know as an anchor. The shaft of metal and two prongs coming out like this. Maybe 45 degrees angle. Just like you and I would think. That's the idea of this. And hence when it's, it's being drawn along, it catches, you see, catches the bottom, it catches a rock, it, it stabilizes. And the anchor is the same with Christ. It's, it gives the idea of a prong. It means to bend. It's, the, the word is far richer, but it means to bend or to curve, meaning this part. Do you know the only other place that this is found? When the Lord Jesus is going to be dedicated in the temple. And those Simeon's in the temple, do you remember? And he's the priest in the temple. It says he comes and he takes the child up in his arms. How do you do this to take a child in your arms? It's the anchor. That's what it means. Take you in your arms. Father, he says, now let thy servant depart in peace. And he's so seen his salvation. He anchored Christ in his arm. In the curve. That's the idea of it. This is the curve and the anchor. And brothers and sisters, you and I are anchored in the arms of the Savior. In heaven. I trust tonight, you'll see he is our only hope. He's the anchor of the soul. God bless us tonight. Can you come up please, Billy?